0: Guys, you know, we have some great sponsors on our show that have all sorts of great deals that we want you to take advantage of. But if you're driving or cooking or changing a diaper, it's hard to write down all the information and you wish you could have remembered the code. That's right. But we got your backs. Go to
1: whatfreshhellpodcast.com and click on promo codes right at the top and you'll see a list of all our sponsors and all the special deals they offer to our listeners. Plus, whenever you
0: visit our sponsors, you let them know you're listening, which is great for the show. So thanks terrible like the ham is slimy what fresh hell laughing in the face of motherhood people do things in order to bother me with margaret Abel's and amy wilson you're not always the center of the story
1: a podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to redirect redirect redirect
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about
1: teaching kids empathy. This was suggested by my cousin, Erin Cox. Hi, Erin. Hi, Erin. She is a, uh, a professional counselor for families and individuals in Omaha, Nebraska. And she's very good at what she does. And she thought this was a good topic to talk about. And I'll tell you what, researching this, I had to get my, you know, head around like, what does this even mean? And I've just figuring out what empathy even is and how to teach it to kids. I've learned a lot and we haven't even started talking about it. Well, maybe
0: you should just (laughs) sign off, Amy. You're like, I'm done, guys. I know everything I need to know. So anyway, I know you're good. (laughs) Well, good. You can teach us. I know I don't know how to teach my kids empathy. I need some empathy this week because I have a all house stomach flu going on. Yes. And I'm a little uh, tired. So if I sound bonkers, that's why, guys, I was up all night with the buckets, (laughs) you know, bucket brigade, like I'm coming with the bucket. Don't throw up until the other guy throws up in the bucket. Oh, the joys of my I need a little empathy this morning, Amy. I feel like, you know, the, the word stomach flu coming out of the mother's mouth, like that's like that is the definition of empathy. Like, oh, I get that. Oh. I don't have to imagine. Right. I, all the feels. I'm and then right now. I did what we always say not to do. I brought one into my bed because he was so sick that like I couldn't keep doing the run. And then like all night he was just breathing his hot little pestilent breath right into my mouth. So like look forward to me having the. <laughs> horrible stomach flip. Watch this space for further developments. Awful.
1: Okay, so let's start as I feel like I always like to start like, is this a thing? Do we
0: need to teach our kids empathy? I was just working with my kid on an issue that I, I won't really get into. But I was talking to someone about it. And they were like, some things are personality, and some things are changeable. And I think We've always said behavior is changeable. Personality is not changeable. That's i that's a touchstone for me. I believe that. So like if you have a kid who's anxious and you spend your entire life being like, don't worry, stop worrying so much. It's just kind of beating your head against the wall. I was a very disorganized kid and I had a lot of an ongoing angsty thing with my mom of like, don't be so disorganized. And I think at a certain point she was like, don't drop your clothes on the floor when you walk in. Don't like yard sale it like you walk in and like the gloves go in one direction, the hat goes in another direction. That is changeable. But this is a person who is generalized, scattered, not changeable.
1: Well, just to take the other side of that slightly, there are ways in which behavior You can go outside in like you can you can teach behaviors that will never change your hardwired anxiety or maybe disorganization or maybe lack of empathy. But but the behaviors you can go you can go from the outside in that teaching kids empathetic behaviors will, in fact, teach them empathy.
0: I think that's right. I think we're both really saying the same thing, which is you can't come at it from like verbalizing frustration over the person That you are. We talked about this in the marriage episode, which is like you can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant like you my anxious kid. I have to work with the behaviors that come out of the anxiety, but I can't there's no point in being like, would you stop wearing so much? So Katie Hurley,
1: who we had have had on our show, she wrote about teaching kids empathy for scary mommy. I'm going to put the uh, link up in our show notes, which you can always get on whatfreshelfpodcast.com or by just like swiping or tapping down on whatever you're using to listen to this show right now. I always put the links that we use. Anyway, she says that some kids do develop empathy more naturally than others, and others do kind of need to be taught. She says it's a critical skill, and some are born with it, and some do need to be taught it. I see that in my own kids. I do too. That's, you know, like one one is all about the, like, you know, puppy videos, and one is, is, you know, a little more indifferent. One, one actually like draws, enjoys, you know, engaging with the world's suffering in the sad movie. You know what I mean? And one is just like, that doesn't move it for me at all. So that's okay. So we do need to teach our kids to some degree.
0: And I will say briefly, there is, and we're not going to go down far this road. It's not really what we're talking about, but it's something that I'm aware of. My daughter has a tremendous amount of empathy, naturally, which is possibly tied up in some ways with gender. And there's also something to the fact that like the thing of like you always have to be the person who's nice and good and understanding. There's some downsides to that as well. And that may be a completely separate episode, but I do find myself aware in teaching empathy of like you have to be thoughtful and kind towards other people but you don't have to take the problems of the world on your back to solve mm-hmm. and i think that can be another area of problematic which is like you don't have to sublimate your personal happiness for other people for your entire life to be a nice person
1: you know you, you've heard of empaths right like this is like you have a sort of like surfeit of empathy and sometimes I'm like, am I an empath? But then I looked at the traits of an empath. Like I am definitely a cry at commercials, you know, like went to a, went to a funeral recently for a very beloved teacher of mine who died at, you know, 90. Like she was, you know, in fullness of time. And I was like heaving with sobs and the family was like, it's okay. And i like, I do sort of vibrate at that level. So yes, there are some people who even have to be taught to sort of put that stuff aside. Let's assume though that most, Most of our like five and six year olds, like, you know, push somebody down at the playground and need to be taught why that's why that's not a good thing. Not okay. So Dr. Ross Green wrote a book called Raising Human Beings. And he thinks that this teaching empathy is incredibly important. And he says that these are sort of the skills of appreciating how your actions are affecting others and resolving disagreements in ways that don't make things worse. These are sort of use them or lose them skills that actually need to be cultivated and encouraged in our kids agree um, and if you want to if you need more convincing that this is good for the the kid as you were saying like you don't want it to be hard on your kid that they're taking on the problems of the world Katie Hurley says that kids who have empathy are less likely to engage in bullying behavior we don't want our kids to be the bullies they're more likely to stand up for the kid who is being bullied More likely to grow into adults who can cope with things, which is I feel like that's the be all end all goal of everything we talk about is
0: it's our old friend grit. Right. grit. Right. They can deal with difficult social.
1: So it's not just about they should be nice to the other kids. It's they're learning how to deal with discomfort and uncomfortable things.
0: There is certainly a counter argument to empathy, which I enjoy thinking about and exploring in literature. And I don't think I'm natural empath, which is that empathy is a construct and without it, you get farther ahead in life. But like, let's leave that aside. I don't think that's really <laughs> what we're talking about for our right, kids. Right. We want them We want them to, to have this skill because
1: it will serve them in life, let alone the people that they're with.
0: We're not going to dive down in like the Nietzschean thing of like, listen, l- empathy is useless and let's move ahead in life. Like Ayn Rand kind of (laughs) little capitalist. Yeah, I mean, there certainly is. And I I have enjoyed and I I love movies about that. And I I'm fascinated by the idea of like is empathy and and it's flip side guilt something that you can remove from your life and just go ahead. But that's not really what we're talking about. (laughs) But I'm interested in it if anyone wants to hit me up on Facebook and have a chat. Your kid would probably be really uh, successful. Well, and I mean, you know, a lot of kids who are very, very successful and driven in competitive fields, this might not be the, at the top of their triangle for their parents, you know, which is interesting. But right mm-hmm. now we're talking about, do you want empathy? Let's say you do and figure out how to get there. Okay, so what is empathy? Let's talk about that because like you think you know, but actually, what
1: is it? So Christopher McCarthy, who's a psychotherapist, he says that empathy involves two components, thinking and emotion. So first, you have to understand another person's perspective. Then you have to express emotional concern about that other person's distress. So he's arguing that empathy is thinking it and acting on it saying it engaging engaging in it you have to do both things yep and katie hurley says the same thing it's the ability to understand and experience other people's feelings and to respond in ways that are helpful so empathy isn't just like crying at the kitty cat in the commercial it's it's doing something about doing
0: something about it it's a very good poem
1: yeah Kids can only be like a two year old really doesn't understand that the world exists beyond their experience. Not really. Right. Like there's babies who literally don't understand that mom is still there when she leaves the room. Right. And there's a
0: two year old who like, I want the truck. I'll do what I need to do to get the truck. There's a reason why the two year old's favorite word is mine. Right. But they're developmentally appropriately expressing what they need, which is like, hey. Right. I have to fight for stuff because I'm small. Right. So I think you need to start in sort of, right, you start in sort of small ways
1: when they're little, like your kid pushes the other kid for the truck. You need to start with the, now, do you see, like, you know, you've made Henry cry, I, I guess. I, I feel like I'm not exactly sure at what age they start to be able to
0: understand that, I guess, school-aged. Yeah, and it's one of the things, like, does a nine-month-old Understand reading a book? No. Should you still read a book with a nine month old? Yes. And so I, it is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine that we end up with like, I I see this a lot with like those like little play groups and there, there's a whole like methodology of child rearing that involves not doing this, but the kind of hovery, like that is hers, you share five minutes, then she gets five minutes, like. I do think that people over invested this at a developmentally inappropriate age, basically. Right. Right, like two-year-olds
1: have. I'm thinking of one time at Christmas, you know, at the relatives' house, and we had a one and a half-year-old and a two and a half-year-old, and the loving grandmother was very invested in them playing together because right. uh, her grandchildren were under one
0: roof. Not developmentally
1: appropriate, right? And they just were like, eh, ah, "Like," and they these are kids who didn't see each other, you know, so often. So yeah, they were they were not having it, and finally, we just had to be like, "Okay." He's going to go over here with this toy and she's going to go over here with this toy so we can sit down and have dinner and we don't have to sort of agitate over, oh,
0: my God, they're, they're cousins and they should be together. like <laughs> that, that will
1: come. <laughs> don't force
0: it. Right. I think people waste a lot of energy on this at developmentally inappropriate ages and they should probably just skip that part.
1: Well, all right. But let's let's talk about when they are sort of a little bit able to start doing this. Maybe, like I said, maybe sort of around three Um Dr. Mark Barnett, I wish he was here so we could ask him, is this three? He's a
0: developmental psychologist. And he says, yeah, he says. Yeah, we need to get a little clarity on that age. But yeah, not not too early. Let's just say that.
1: Not too early. But if your child does something negative to somebody else that you in the moment, you should step in and say, imagine how it would feel if somebody did that to you, I guess, because they really won't unless you put that in their path like you have to sort of Think about other people. We talked in an earlier episode, in fact, that it was sort of middle school before kids really understand that there is such a thing as a, a gray area. Mm. And my, I see my eighth grader still teasing this out. Like he he's willing to have an argument with me about anything. Like our ham sandwich is good. Like anything. He'll take the other side of it. And he gets, but he gets really sort of itchy when I'm trying to like, okay, well, I like them. You don't, so like we don't need to talk about it anymore. No, but they—they're terrible. Like the ham is slimy, and like he really just wants to run right. the mat. Like, like there's a different. We don't have to agree ever on
0: this. There's a gray area. He—he he doesn't like gray areas. I have a kid who struggles a little bit with what they call social emotional intelligence, kind of. And one of the ways I see it manifest, and he's a very empathetic kid in a lot of ways, but he so sees the world as like. People do things in order to bother. Right. Me. We ran out of chocolate chip sandwiches because you, it, you are invested in making me have a horrible day. And it's like, I, I just find myself repeating and repeating, like, we're a family. Different people have different priorities. Sometimes you're not the center of the story. And it's not really working, but I think <laughs> repeating that and emphasizing it is still worthwhile because- at a certain point and I, I find like, well, this kid was saying this thing that they know I don't like just to drive me crazy and I can never be around them again. And it's like so that kid is doing their own thing. He he's still and he's ten, but the world is like everything happens as a result of a calculated attack mm-hmm. on him. Which we were talking about in the marriage episode, and we all do. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, honey, the way you walk is just to drive <laughs> me crazy. And my husband's like, nope, just yep. my feet. Like, that is, I think, somehow like key to empathy. That thing of like, you're not always the center of mm-hmm. the story. But when you're inside your own brain, it's very hard to remember mm-hmm. that. I think this is a good time to take
1: a break. When we get back, let's talk about the line between pity and empathy. What's the difference? Ooh,
0: no idea. Can't wait bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And
1: you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snugly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no seam. <laughs> And there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently. So it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy. And I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I
0: want you to work on expressing about the toe seam, maybe That's an assignment for (laughs) you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy, though, Amy. For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of three thousand giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at Bombas.com slash laughing. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash laughing for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash laughing. Beachbody
1: on Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months, and with Beachbody on Demand, you get instant access to 1300 different workouts you can stream anytime.
0: I first learned about Beachbody and you may have too from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout. I will say fun and Highly intense, but Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken
1: you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet,
0: phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Hell podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30 3030. 30. You will get free full access to the entire
1: Beach Body on Demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting laughing to 303030. 30, 30. Check
0: it out. Okay, we're back, Amy. Pity and empathy, not the same thing. I know that. Not the same thing. So, Amy Webb is a mom of a kid with
1: limb differences, and she wrote a great story for A Cup of Joe that website called How to Navigate a Special Needs Encounter. And this is something where empathy often comes into play, I think, for our kids. This is a particularly like, sort of sticky situation for us, right? Like, oh, my kid is staring at that kid in the wheelchair. And I like, should they should I say something? Should I not? Like, we don't really know how to navigate it. I really recommend this article. She talks about, so her daughter looks looks different than other kids. And she explains that you would like, if you're in that situation, for other People to approach your kid with empathy and not pity. And here's what she says the difference is. Empathy, she says, is from listening to another person's perspective and reacting accordingly. So I think that's interesting that she's also saying the same thing. Like, it's the thinking and the acting. It's not
0: just... Right. She gets it. She read that article by Dr. So-and-so. It, yeah, I think she did. But she says pity is assuming assuming
1: that a person with a disability has a harder or sadder life because they're
0: disabled. Very interesting. And a good way to actually say out loud something that we all already understand.
1: Yeah. She explains that if you listened to somebody's frustrations, like my, I was up all night with kids with the stomach flu, and, and then I say, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, that sucks, versus sort of assuming I know how I feel. And saying like, if you saw a kid in a wheelchair and you say to that kid or her parent, you know, wow, you were so brave to be bringing this kid to the playground, that that's pity and that tips into major, not good. Major, not good, guys. (laughs) That's the technical term. (laughs) Major, not good to do that. Uh, I had a, I like, I hesitate to even like tell the story because it's still like, it's like one of the most cringeworthy things that ever happened to me, but I handled it badly. And, and I think this is like, this is the example. We were on vacation. My kids were much younger and it was like a place with a lot of family activities. Like at two o'clock, you know, there's double dare. And at four o'clock there's cupcake making contest. It was that kind of a place. And we were doing some sort of activity as a family. And this kid came down and, I uh, came over and sat at our table, and his face was very burned. I didn't know the story because my uh, spouse and I were, of course, like we were completely engaged and like, everything's fine. And we treat everybody exactly the same. Like we didn't engage with, with his difference at all. Right. And my kids were kind of staring at him and we were sort of like, just, you know, redirect, redirect, redirect. And it was Halloween weekend. And so part of the weekend was the kids were going to dress up in costumes. And one of my kids actually said to this kid, you don't need a Halloween costume because of the way your face looks. I mean, a uh, like a young child, like that came out of this child's. Your kid was little though. Yeah, bit, yeah, right. This was truly a kid who didn't know better. I mean, you can imagine how I felt, how horrified. And we were walking with this kid and our kids you know, my my husband and I look at each other like with the eyes of like, I'm drowning, I know I'm drowning too. And I just sort of pull the kid. My my husband keeps walking with this other kid and like, oh ha, ha, ha. So anyway, like as if my child hadn't said what he just said, right? Like the way we handled it in the moment Right. Was one, one adult kept walking and the other adult pulled the, pulled the kid back and took him back to our hotel room and like gave him, you know, a tongue lashing that ended in, you know, sobs. Right. And, and, but what I should have done, I should have addressed that in front of the kid. I sh- absolutely should have said, you know, that's really unkind. Like I should have modeled for that kid standing up for him and saying, like, that's not something to say rather than just pretending it didn't happen, which fooled exactly nobody.
0: Well, I have several thoughts on that. First of all, very, very difficult and challenging situation. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, like, removing your kid from the other kid compounds the problem. Not to harsh on you, you know it was a disaster. Like, because I think knowing many people who have kids with different kinds of differences, that thing of, like, oh, there's a kid with a strange-looking face. We're going to just stay away from them so my kids don't say anything weird really bad choice. Right. That's a bad choice too. Right. If you can, which you, it sounds like you couldn't in this situation. You know, I try often, if I see someone who looks different, I'm like, guys, there's a person who looks different than us here. Do we know how to Mm. handle that Mm -hmm. situation? If you can scan it out and give them any prep beforehand. Another thing I talk about a lot is like, just making sure that, like, this is a good reason to like read books about these things so that you have these discussions. And we often say, like, you're going to see people who look really different from you. And when you point that out, it's possible that you would hurt those people's feelings. But I also think that we've gotten to a dangerous place where we think that empathy is not noticing other people are different. Exactly. That is a mistake. If you see a person who is missing a limb, that is shocking and can be frightening to a kid at the same time you can react to that. I also think it's fine to be curious. I think it is fine for a kid to say, what happened to your face? And you can then model and say to the kid, you definitely don't have to answer that Mm -hmm. question if it makes you uncomfortable. Because we understand that all people look different all sorts of places.
1: This situation was made so much more difficult for me I mean, it was like, you know, it was just the perfect storm of disaster. And, And part of the reason was this kid didn't have a parent with him. Like he was hanging out with my, he just sort of showed up and started hanging out with my family and were sort of tagging along with us. And I definitely handled it badly because I feel like that's the perfect question to take to that parent. Take that parent
0: aside and say, can my kids ask your kid questions? About the wheelchair as this. Yeah. But if, but if it doesn't happen, like you've got to figure it out in the moment with people. And I've definitely had that situation where like a kid was missing a limb or had something really different. And like, I do not think it's realistic with kids under six for them to not notice differences in people. And now even my kid at 10 and he's gotten so good at it, he'll come home and he's like, mom. I saw a girl and she doesn't open her eyes. Is that an okay thing Mm. to ask her about? And I'm like, I think it probably is. I think you can probably say like, hey, why don't you open your eyes? I I don't know. I think people have very different opinions about this, but I think there's an isolation in people. Just kind of like, I'm going to stay away from that person because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And that to me is like the worst form of empathy, which is like rather than have any kind of awkward interaction, it reminds me we were in a terrible situation once with a family death. And we were at the like family gathering right after it had happened. And people kept coming to the house and saying Mm -hmm. awful things ridiculous things, hurtful things. The nature of the death was something that people were uncomfortable with. And so people, I mean, lots and lots of people said incredibly thoughtless, hurtful things as a result. And the person who had lost their spouse, and I just gave her so much credit. She's like, I just keep trying to hear, we love you and we're sorry this happened. And we came to your house to tell you that. Uh Uh-huh. That's great. And I do think that like we have come to live in a world where like there's 8 million hot take think pieces, which are like 65 things to never say to a mom of twins, 28 things to never do when you interact with a person with differences. And it's like, I just don't think that's a realistic approach to this problem. There has to be a little bit of a give and take. And I understand that the burden is on the person who is being judged and reacted to. And that's not really that fair. But I find that I try to say to my kids, like, you're going to see people with differences. Sometimes when you see people with differences, the fact of the matter is your reaction to them is fright somehow. Like there's something about difference that triggers something in us that is fear. You would never, ever, ever Point, laugh, say something cruel about someone who looks different. That is unacceptable. But I think expecting kids to never ask about other people's differences, I'm open to like people coming at me on Facebook and being like, you're dead wrong about this and here's why. But I worry that we're getting to a point where like you're never allowed to acknowledge anyone else's differences. And therefore we just run away from people who are different because, and I mean, we have people who are in our lives who are. Um, I don't even what, what the term is like gender nonconforming or like they present and it's not clear like their gender might not be clear to a child you know and my kids would say, like, "Hey, are you a boy or a girl?" And they might say, I-, "I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's non-empathetic to ask that question." Well, that's it's a little different,
1: right? To add, like, my my daughter asked a woman that I knew at a pool who was wearing a you know woman's bathing suit but had a man's haircut. She's like, "Are you a man or a woman?" And and you know, this woman was like, "Oh, it's funny that you ask that because I do have a man's haircut, right?" She's like, "I'm I'm a woman, but I like to wear my hair short like this." Her presentation there is a choice it's different than a kid with a horribly burned face being asked why do you look like that like she she can yeah. she's choosing to look exactly how she wants to look I, I don't know they it was i tried to do the right thing by including this kid and pretending his differences didn't exist and in the end that was not the right thing to do because because my kid, you know, ended up acknowledging it in the in the worst way. But it, w- it was harder because the other parent wasn't there. And I do think, like Amy Webb's article about navigating these special needs encounters is like, go to the parent. You know, don't assume that the kid in the wheelchair with a disability can't can't speak for themselves. But if you want to engage with the kid about the kid's differences and there's a there's a grown up you can kind of check that with first, that's the right way to do it.
0: Yeah, that's for sure easier. And like, hey, how do you want to deal with this is a sticky wicket, man? This is a tough one. But I think the empathy component is like the reason we think about how we do this. And this is a conversation you can have with your kids. The reason we think about why we do this is that we don't want to hurt other people. That's the bottom line of it all. That's the conversation. They need to be led through this a little bit, right? So Amy Webb says, like, here's what will work in
1: this situation like this. You can ask about the differences. They would probably rather usually talk about it than go through this, like, Ridiculous charade of you're not noticing and, and not seeing the, the questions that are going through your head while you're standing there. But then she's like, move to the common ground. If you're the parent of the typically abled kid, you can say to your kid, I bet she likes to, you know, get on the slide too. I bet she likes papa pig too. But you, you ask, yes. you ask the child or the child's caregiver, what does she like to do? And you, you establish sameness, which is, of course, about giving comfort and inclusion to the kid with differences. But it's also a teachable moment for your kid. Like, oh, she's different, but she's the same. We're we're more same. And that takes the
0: fear out of it for your four-year-old, right? There is a teachable moment. Absolutely. And I would argue pretty strongly that kids are pretty good at that as long as you help them model it. Like I feel like often the problem is the parent being like, uh, let's stay away from that kid because I don't want you to ask them a weird question versus like a kid m- might walk up and be like, holy cow, what's wrong with your weird mm-hmm. leg? And it's like, well, that's not the greatest way to do it. But two seconds later, they're like, do you like sandcastles? Like, and so avoiding the interaction because you're like, well, it's more empathetic to not let my kids say something inappropriate. It's like you're not letting them have that experience of like, hey, my really good friend is uh, doing this thing with me.
1: It was the one moment that I wanted the earth to swallow me up more than literally anything that's ever happened to me. But if I could go back, I would at least make it 1% better by calling out my kid in front of the kid instead of like, let's all pretend that didn't just happen.
0: And listen, these things are hard. You can't beat yourself up about it. Like these things are hard for a reason because like... We want to be kind people and kids. I mean, I've had the experience of like um, my kids saying really dopey stuff to people. And you're like, oh, that's awful. And like I've had the experience of kids being like (laughs) a kid who was like, you look way too old to have a kid in kindergarten. (laughs) And her mom wanted to die. And I was like, I mean, it's not as fresh a wound because I am an oldie lock back in my day. It's not as painful as, as like a child who has something that you know must kind of hurt. And, but I think a world of diverse people in all shapes and sizes and, and all different abilities, like that is a utopian vision, but we have to get there by being able to, I do not think you can skip the step where your kids are going to be curious about people who look different.
1: I told the story a couple of weeks ago, but I was at this event where there was an equestrian show and there was a kid with Down syndrome riding the horse around. And there were a bunch of kids who didn't have Down syndrome watching, most of which weren't my children. But I was just like, maybe it's once bitten, twice shy, but I'm like, oh, who's going to say it? Who's going to say the insensitive thing? Who's going to do it? Well, with this yeah, you know, young girl's mom standing next to me and these kids, like, they are being taught differently than we were. And so all these kids were, they were asking questions. Like, does she have a learning difference? One of them said, and I'm like, how does this, like, eight year old know how to say that? And the mother said, yes, she has Down syndrome. And the girl's like, oh, somebody at my school has Down syndrome. And then they were like, how long has she been riding a horse? Like, I couldn't believe these kids were navigating this. Curious moment with the right language and the appropriate politeness. I was, it gave me hope for the future. It was really good. So it's not always terrible, but, we, but our little
0: kids need to learn it from us. That's a positive step. And you're, you're taking us directly into our next segment. So we'll take a break. And now, a moment of gratitude from the What Fresh Hell podcast. It is
1: important always to express what we call an attitude. Of gratitude When expressing yourself, are you making sure the people you are addressing know how much you appreciate their efforts?
0: Ugh, this pasta smells so gross. There's no way I am eating it.
1: The way we phrase things can unintentionally wound and harm. Ask yourself, can I rephrase my thoughts to find a more positive spin?
0: O-M-G. It tastes... Even worse than it smells. Thinking
1: about the wider picture helps us infuse all of our interactions with an inherent sense of gratitude. Mom, the dress you ironed isn't even the one I wanted to wear. An attitude of gratitude will carry you throughout a lifelong journey of peace and happiness. This is the most boring cruise I have ever been on okay you've broken me do you know that there are kids who have never been on a boat let alone on a vacation and while we're at it let's talk about how many pairs of shoes you have this has been a moment closet. of gratitude do you know how many kids would be so Rochelle happy to have one Podcast. pair of shoes just one shoe just one shoe that's all they would care about
0: okay so it's always in our third part we need to start talking solutions yeah. and i will say boring annoying we get it already number one solution top of the mountain modeling empathy, yep, yep, gotta do it if you talk trash about other people in your house and you talk unkindly about other people to your children that is a bad idea there are very few things on this podcast i'm always like do what works for you sleep eh, keep them in your bed or put them in a crib like i am very i'm loosey-goosey with the rules so i'm like eh, if it works for you it's fine with me do not talk badly about other people in front of your children
1: Right, and in and in simpler, gentler ways, you can lead with empathy. Just this past weekend, my 14 year old had a piano recital, and he was extremely anxious. As we were walking from the subway, you know, to the recital, he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna mess up. Oh gosh, like I'm not ready. I'm gonna mess up." And. I've, I've done piano recitals. And I mean, yeah, like top five scariest things that I've ever done. And like the, the piano recital, I don't know why it's so hard, but you're playing an instrument you've never seen before and everybody's watching. And, and I started saying, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. You know this piece. You'll be okay. And then I caught myself because he was pushing back against that. Like, no, I don't. I'm not ready. And I said, like, you know what? Piano recitals are so stressful. I get it. I get, you're feeling stressed. They're stressful. And he like his face just completely softened when I switched from reassurance to I hear you and that's how you teach kids empathy sort of with one conversation
0: at a time. Right. I've been there too. Another thing that I go to a lot with empathy with my kids is look how you made that person feel. Mm -hmm. I try to not. And, and I've said before, like, I let my kids go pretty far down roads. Like I'll hear a pretty big fight outside and I'm like, "If, if it gets bad, someone will come get us, you know, like fight, work it out. But occasionally someone will come up crying and then the brother will come up, I this, I that. And I'm like, whatever happened, pause and look at that person. Look at how you made them feel. They're crying. And like, yes, sometimes there's a little drama to the crying and there's a little bit like, I, I do this when it's, real. And I know when it's real, you know, sometimes someone will pull the card of like, they really hurt me. And I'm like, yeah, ignore them. They're being ridiculous. But when they (laughs) really hurt someone, look at how you made them feel. Look at what you did. Or like, come look at my couch. Look at this. You, You ruined this thing that I love. You broke this thing. That's really was a treasure for me. And it really, I'm sad about it. Like, come stare at the wreckage. And like, most people don't like that feeling. No, I used to do that with my
1: kids when they were little too. Like, look at my face. This is this is a Nancy Wilson trick. She'd be like, look at my face when she did. Yeah. When you were in trouble, we had to gaze upon the displeased face of your mother, and I would say, look at me, look at my face. I'm not happy, and they'd be like, like
0: averting their eyes, like they they couldn't possibly look. And I do think, and we've discussed this in, in in social media stuff, that is the disaster that is social media. There's a Jimmy Kimmel bit with mean tweets or like whatever. Yeah, yeah. But just being like, you're a fat, ugly loser. Send, you don't have the experience of like seeing the person hurt. Yeah. And it really robs you of like a very important piece of empathy. Another area I think with this is like, I know my kids' school does a ton of empathy education, which I can get a little tweet-tweet about, you know, like, isn't that precious? But their program is called The Bucket Filler. Mm. And the whole thing is like kindergarten all the way through. They're like, everybody has a bucket. And you can either choose to fill that person's bucket or dip in and take from that person's bucket. I like that. And it's just, I think, a really nice metaphor and it's really funny because I was laughing with the principal when I'm seeing, it. I'm like, oh, I got another bucket at home because the kids, I'm like, I'm like, no, you can have a second ice cream sandwich for dinner. And my kids will be like, you are really dipping in my bucket right now. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I'm dipping away though. But like, and, and again, the kids are not like all super kind angels. They're monsters. You know, they're still mean to each other. They still pick on kids with differences, but like, I do think it helps to have a language around it that you can reference that you're not starting every conversation with like, why would you do that? That is your sister. You hurt her feelings. It's just a kind of a a touchstone of like, I really think you dipped in her in in her bucket with that, you know, Mm -hmm. and it it gives them an image that they can go back to and kind of understand. Studies do show that the schools that teach empathy sort of as
1: part of their curriculum do have less Relational aggression as a rule than the one, than the schools that don't. Relational aggression is what we call the bullying that isn't shoving a kid in a locker, but the, you know, the ostracization, the mean texts, right. whatever, that sort of stuff. Kids do it less when they're taught that it's wrong. They have to be taught because they are slow to, un- to think about the other person's emotional needs.
0: And it's developmentally appropriate kind of learning where you're not like in a large world, everyone is this. It's like you kind of are talking on a level that it doesn't mean anything to them. But like, hey, if you had a bucket and someone came over and took something out of it, how would you feel? Like It's a very understandable thing for them, which I like. Dr. Uh, Barnett, who's a developmental
1: psychologist we talked about before, he recommends that you use story time. Parents and teachers use story time as an opportunity to talk about the feelings of characters in a book, yep and uh, there's a there's a picture book by Jacqueline Woodson that i I have to um i'll I'll put the link up on the show page. This is a book that I can't get through without crying it's it, i mean like it makes me sob a picture book about a girl who comes to a new school. And like her clothes are weird and her hair is weird. And, you know, she's not really that clean and she doesn't really look at anybody. And so the whole class is like, ew, let's not like be friends with her. She's weird. And then one day she's not there anymore. You know, she disappears just as quickly. And it just leaves you with this sort of haunting, like what happened to that kid. And I I mean, I read it. I read it to my kids and they were looking at me like, "What? what are you doing to me? I have one of my empath moments, right? I was like, <gasps> for this imaginary child, but it is more than any book I've ever read. Shows you without ever going in the kid's head, really, shows you how unkind these kids were. Each kindness. That's what it's called. Each kindness. Get the
0: tissues out. It's a great book. Each kindness. My eight-year-old has a hilarious expression when we're watching a movie and there's like sad music playing and like the dog is like walking away. And he always (laughs) turns to me and goes, Mom, this movie is trying to make me cry. And it's like, he does that with books too. This book is trying to make me cry. Uh, I think another modeling of empathy is not being afraid. And again, I think this is more of a modern problem. Not being afraid to be in scary and uncomfortable mm-hmm. situations with your kids. And I will give an example, which is that my cousin lost her husband. She had four young girls, four girls under 10, and her husband passed away. And she got a lot of feedback from people that was like, I can't bring my kids to the funeral because I don't want them to know that parents can die. Basically, like, I think it is too overwhelming for my kids to confront death at this point. And I'm like, that is an empathy moment missed because the real lesson there is when bad things happen to our friends, we go and hold them through those bad times. And I do think like that's kind of an extreme example, but I think there can be a lot of examples like that. And I think as we go back to like kids with differences, kids who have something scary going on with them. Differences are scary. And that thing of like, just stay away from that different kid so you don't say anything wrong is the same problem. Like that's, that's exclusionary. That's, that's bad too. You do not, you do not exclude bad experiences in order to protect your own child. That is a terrible lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And it is hard. Like it is really hard when you have to sit down with your kids and say, this person's dad died because- We have spent a lot of nights being like, what if you die? Oh, we're not going to die. Look at how grandma is. We're going to be fine. And then it happens. And it is really hard for kids. And like my kids have been through it a couple of times and it's always really hard. And it causes a tremendous amount of anxiety and nightmares and bad sleep because this thing they've been told nobody ever dies happens. And then suddenly that's modeling empathy, which is like we have to look at this scary thing in order to help our friend. Why would you skip that lesson? Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's a dif- right, it's a difficult lesson, but there it is in your in your path when these uncomfortable situations present themselves, acknowledge the discomfort and use it.
0: And we all have a little bit of that instinct when stuff starts to go wrong for other people, and this is a very like I think it's some deep lizard brain tribal thing of like Cast out the trouble and then we will live in peace and harmony. And I try to challenge myself with this. Like kids who are troubled tend to have worse behavior. Kids with problems, it tends to cycle down and stuff. And like you do not have to put your kids in situations where you're like, you have to be friends with that horrible kid because they had a tough life. Like that is the wrong lesson. And like this kid is punching you in the face all day. But like, listen, they had a tough road to hoe. So like you, you just keep being nice to them at any cost. I don't believe in that. But I do think our aversion to tragedy and difficult situations, that's where you have to check your own empathy, too, sometimes.
1: You know, there's a way way into this is like fiction. Neil Gaiman who's an author, he said, fiction gives us empathy. And here's a safe way to address this, like that each kindness book I was just talking about, that fiction gives all of us empathy by putting us in the mind of other people and helping us see the world through their eyes. Nobody reads as much fiction as they should in 2019. Just giving your kids more fiction is a a good way to develop the skill.
0: And we just had this conversation with Evangeline Lilly, right, which is the same thing of like challenging our kids, putting them in scarier situations. Fiction is a great way to do that too. Like fiction is a great way to do empathy as well. Like you can explore topics that seem scary but you can close the book. But then when topics that seem scary come into our own lives, we can we can handle that. Yeah. And I understand that I've had I mean my mom passed away and I was a little bit like wait, do I have to take the kids to like it seems like a lot like going to a place, there's going to be a coffin. It seems really scary. Like, they don't really understand this stuff. But it's like, of course they have to go. This is this is actual life. This isn't just the pretend magical fairy land we're trying to set up for them. Like, and it was sort of scary and hard for them. And they had some weird questions. And then life goes on. They forged through that difficult, sad
1: situation, greater emotional resilience and depth. And they will respond. I'm sure your kids responded Well, to that situation that you were talking about where people were saying inappropriate things like you're going to have kids who know how to act in that situation
0: because they've walked through the sad thing themselves. Hopefully. And, and, and in the same way that like your kids are not going to start doing laundry in college, your kids should start doing laundry when they're 10. Like your kids should start going out with friends and making mistakes and, and getting in trouble in town and having a shopkeeper call you and be like, your obnoxious kid is doing something. They should start doing that young because if you wait until college and your kid goes to college and is like, oh, my God, random people die and horrible stuff happens all the time. They're going to be missing empathy and they're going to be generally missing their whatever thick skin they need to be like, there's a real world out there and there's no upside to protecting yeah. them from it. Yeah. It's
1: not the lightest of topics, but I'm glad we talked about it.
0: No, no. Not, no, we didn't. We we didn't really deliver on our promise of hilarity today. But listen, this is serious business, guys. But I got a lot out of it. And I'm really glad we talked
1: about it. And, and I'm understanding really this idea that empathy is thought and action. And you can't just wish you didn't say the thing. You know, you need to you need to make it
0: right. You got to try and fail. And I I recently had experience like you. Someone was dealing with something and I went up and I didn't know them well. And in a babbling way, I tried to express something to them that turned out pretty horribly. And I could see in their face that I had said exactly the wrong thing. And almost as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, my God, this is the thing that people are going to write the article that's like things not to say to a parent (laughs) in this situation. And I just kind of barfed all over them and they were like appalled. And I beat myself up over it for like three weeks. But I'm team try, team Mm -hmm. try. Someone has a death. Someone has a tragedy. And you think, I don't know the right thing to say. I mean, when I lost my mom, the most random people were just walking in the funeral home for the wake. And I was like, and some of them said really weird, dopey things. But the fact that they walked in the door was what mattered. And so don't ever hold yourself back from walking in the door. You're going to swing and a miss on this sometimes. And there are people have sensitivities that you don't understand. Some people want to be asked about their differences. Some people find it offensive. Like, you're not going to get it right. But I would always say choose the path that is try. Choose the try. Right. Choose to try. I think we solved it. This one is so hard and it's not not a ton of laughs. But I do think that, uh, we're, we're going to keep trying. And guys, we want to hear from you on Facebook. And if you think I'm dead wrong on some of these things, you can come and yell at me on Facebook. It's fine. We'll still be friends. Fa- sure. I'll still have empathy for you. Facebook.com forward slash what fresh hell cast. And we're on Instagram at WhatFreshHealthCast. We're on Twitter at
1: WFH Podcast. And I'm going to put up links to that uh, storybook I was talking
0: about and all the research that we mentioned today. And definitely that Scary Mommy article, because that was a great article. That really helped me out, that one. That was good. Check that out, guys. And that's on our website, Podcast.
1: Or in, in your app, right where you're holding that little
0: phone, the app. It's all there. It's there for you. Yeah, just swipe up, guys. It's a miracle. <laughs> when I figured that out, I was like, what? Very exciting. All right, guys. With that, we're going to bring you a really... Next week, we're going to talk about like puppies and butterflies. We're going to keep it real, <laughs> funny, funny real butterflies like guys. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you then. Bye.